This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and good morning everybody welcome on to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 the game and 1037 thegamecom Hopefully you're having a fantastic Louisiana Saturday morning. It is a pretty darn beautiful Saturday morning, to say the very least. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself however you're doing so. You know, drinking that first cup of coffee, or in some cases, maybe that second cup of coffee. And more importantly, you know, maybe you're popping that first top, getting your weekend started off on the right foot. Or if you're out there, you know, cutting some grass, just turn up the headphones and listen into two hours of non-stop sports talk that's coming to you live, as per the use, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we are looking good, and we are sounding good as well. However, you're listening in, be it through the FM dial. Tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Ooh, yeah, and also... You can listen to us through 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app. You can just search for that bad boy right now. Just search 1037thegame in your app store or your Google Play store. Just download the bad boy. It's free, and it's it's a pretty light app, I would say. So you can just quickly download that, hit play, and you can listen to us for absolutely free 99. You heard me right, absolutely free. Enjoy it. And also, you can listen in through your favorite smart speakers. If you haven't added the new Alexa skill, you can go ahead and re-add that bad boy right now so you can listen to Acadiana Sports Station on your Amazon Alexa. And heck, if you miss anything on the show, and trust me, you don't want to miss a thing of the show, not just this week, but every single week, you can check us out as well through any other of your podcast gimmicks. Just search Under the Dome and go ahead and subscribe. And more importantly... Go ahead and review that bad boy. Give it five stars, because why the heck not? Now that we're done with the preamble, it's definitely a busy Saturday. We're going to get to a lot of stuff involving the world of the NFL in this show. But I'm going to start with college sports, college athletics, because Mark Emmert is the subject of what's causing all this on Louisiana Saturday morning with this week's Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testified? It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. It's official. Mark Emmert has waved the white flag. He's that guy to a certain extent, you know, if you're in, if you work in an office, work a nine to five, and there's a guy that always swoops in on a conversation and tries to either turn the conversation into a, being about him or no, acts like he knows all the intricacies of the conversation before he even walked into the room. 
And now, after letting schools largely be laissez-faire after the whole name, image, and likeness thing with Supreme Court and all that stuff, and we'll talk about we'll go back to that in a little bit. But name, image, and likeness happens, and we're seeing it become more and more of a thing. In fact, I just saw something recently I'll probably touch on a little bit later in the show, because it's definitely, like, probably the most interesting takeaway from all this involving Texas A&M. Probably get to that at the end of Hour 1, because I've got a lot of stuff involving New Orleans Saints to talk about throughout this hour. But, Emmert said with a small group of reporters the other day that the time is right to consider a decentralized and deregulated version of college sports, shifting power to conferences and campuses and reconsidering how schools are aligned. He went on to lay out a vision, not necessarily a model, not not a Kansas City model, but he went on to lay out a vision for the future of college sports that puts fewer limitations on athletes and de-emphasizes a the role of a national governing body like the NC2A. Here's a quote. When you have an environment like that, it just forces us to think more about what constraints should be put in place if and in place ever on college athletes, and it should be the bare minimum. So essentially he's saying he's trying to undo years of damage, stuff that I, think, I don't think flex tape could even fix. It's a mess what's what's been going on with this. But Emmer wants to act like the smartest guy in the room, and it's sad to see. Of course, the NCAA needs to de-emphasize their role. It's the fact that the Supreme Court last month said, quote, they were not above the law. This is their out to go ahead and try and undo years, and I mean years, if not decades upon decades of screwing over tens of thousands of college athletes, especially over the last decade, in the aftermath of the Ed O'Bannon trials. A lot of other guys as well because they've never been really paid or compensated nearly enough. It's going to be really interesting to see how some people like the Knight Commission, there's a Knight Commission on intercollegiate football that wants to kind of pull college football out of the NC2A's purview. Honestly, you can't just partially pull out like one sport from the NC2A. If one's out, you've either got to pull the rest of it out and put it under a new commission or have the NCAA exist in name only. That way it can be promoted as the NCAA championships, the the NCAA college football playoff. Like there's a way where you can have your cake and eat it too. I'm not here to tell you exactly how that all needs to work, but I think that's where the next step is when it comes to the NCAA. Is you need to have a new commission in place or have the NCAA just be in name only, and you have czars for each sport. Because I think that's the way it's needed to be. You need to have a czar of football, a commissioner for football. I'm saying a czar. I think it just works better. When I say czar of college football versus college football commish. But you have somebody who, who keeps tabs on each and every sport instead of having one large governing body handle athletics in terms of intercollegiate athletics. I think that's a mess. And, you know, again, Mark Emmert is saying this now versus, you know, this whole ordeal when it began. It began over laptops. Well, technically, the whole thing with the Supreme Court did, but this goes, again, goes back to Ed O'Bannon. And that trial that wound up causing 
one of the greatest games of all time, NCAA college football, to fade into obsolescence. A lot like the NCAA maybe needs to do what that did and fade away and classify itself as obsolete. Now what's next after this statement from Mark Emmer? And I think, honestly, this was him waving the white flag. This was them saying, you know, the NCAA gives up. They're ready to tap out. They're just waiting for the check to cash at this point. And they're going to see an opportunity for other, like, leagues or something to come up. And you'll see a whole different world. Not just with college football, but all college athletics will be, are undergoing a revolution. And that's a good thing. Dare I say, it's a great thing. Because the NCAA has proven itself every single time I turn around to be completely stupid when it comes to stuff. Case in point, they could have had a system to make sure checks and balances are in place for name, image, and likeness. But the second that the Supreme Court said, hey, you got to start doing this, they decided to let it be in the hands of the school and have their compliance handle it before instead of them setting up a compliant an improved compliance office that way you can handle all these requests because you're going to be getting 50 million requests heck they, again there's one in particular that I'm interested in to see how it goes going forward because this sets an interesting precedent I'll just say that it sets up an interesting precedent for the not too distant future but again they surrender to the future the second they put it in the hands of the school's and their compliance office. And I've talked about this a lot in the last several weeks. That those that love college athletics, me being one of those, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end, end all be all of college athletics. Maybe in terms of the NCAA, two or three years down the road, we're going to see this thing come to a sudden screeching halt. But again, it's not the end of the road. It's a great thing, honestly, because of the fact that now the players who have no power, who've had no power for years, are able to take control and will have a lot more power. Not just in terms of you know their name and, and what kind of clout they have on social media. Like we've seen guys like a Trevor Lawrence take advantage of that with the let them play movement back last summer, about a year ago, around this time we started hearing about the let them play movement. Not like the bad news bears. But this is a phenomenal thing for the future of college athletics because it needed to happen years ago. But the NCAA was too scared to try and let this thing be ahead of the curve. Because now with the world, I, like I think you know, 20 years ago, it would have been tough to see a lot of programs, namely the smaller schools, thrive under name, image, and likeness. But now that they have several avenues they can use and several avenues they can choose from, like let's say hypothetically, there's somebody out there on the Cajuns football roster or LSU's roster or whatever, any sport, and they want to go out on Twitch, they could set up a Twitch account and start getting subs and getting paid for that too. Because guess what? They're using their name, their image, and their likeness to make money. You can make a lot of money that way. And it's huge to see a lot of other guys across the country be able to take this opportunity. 
I'm I'm loving it, to be honest with you. Is we're seeing the future of college athletics change before our very eyes. And it felt like something that we were never going to get because the NCAA is was very much like me sometimes. Set my ways very hard-headed. And that's where the NCAA now it's having to change a lot of their th- thinking, a lot of their mindset. And this is a massive win for the student-athletes and a massive win for college football fans everywhere because not only do we get the college football game, these guys are going to be getting paid a good bit of money. We're going to see these stipends and all this stuff. It's going to help the sport grow. I think that much more. At least this is the way I see things. But now we're going to get on over to the 103.7 The Game hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hi, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Uh, I have to compliment you on your stance about the name, image, and likeness. Thank you. Uh, I'm a I'm a person who who uh, is a big memorabilia guy. I collect. I get a lot of autographed stuff. And for so long, uh, what was it? Uh, Terrell Pryor uh, one time would go into a store, uh, you know, up in Columbus and see his jersey for sale, where he was getting nothing off of it, you know, and you know, to me, that was wrong. You're making money off them. They, they can't, don't even get money off their signature, which means when people started doing that and uh, and getting autographed and selling it, it hurts us that are real collectors, you know. And so now let's just put on the table, let them get money for signing something. I, for what I hear right now, Derek Stingley probably is going to go for about 150 you know. Uh, you know, because you know, the, the, guy, the guy I know in the memorabilia business, uh, reached out to him and uh, it like about a hundred dollars wholesale just to deal with that, and so then they got to make their own money on that. So at least it's honest now. You know, I only wish it had been there when Joe Burrow was his Heisman Trophy year at LSU. You know, oh no, you would have been making so, hand over fist. You know, you, you bring up Joe Burrow. I was about to bring that up actually. Let's say you know senior that senior day game. I guarantee you. If if you see the social media, like absolutely loving what Joe Burrow had the B B U R R E A U X. Yeah. If you had that jersey, if you were able to have name image and likeness, I guarantee you, not only LSU, but Joe Burrow would have been pounding the table to make a special edition Joe Burrow E A U X jersey. That thing would have sold like hotcakes, and I guarantee you, Burrow would have made probably almost as much money as he does on his rookie contract right now per year off of that because people would have been buying it like crazy. Hold on. Let me tell you something. I, course, I know a lot about the memorabilia business. Right now, he's, he's set up with Fanatics, and he can't even sign those, those special jerseys because it's only a type of a NFL type or a, yeah. a college football official. He can't even sign those now. Uh, you know, because of the, now he's making a ton of money with fanatics and he's, he's doing that. So, and it, it's hard. He, he won't even sign a lot of jerseys unless it's something fanatics approved. So it would have been great to be able to get those jerseys, him sign that. Uh, cause right now I know one person who got a borough jersey signed. He's trying to get it authenticated from JSA. And they said, well, no, we can't authenticate. And he had to prove that Burrow had signed that thing. So yeah, if you had something and you had that authenticated, with the B-E-R-E-A-U-X, you have a jersey that would probably sell LSU fans between between five hundred and a thousand dollars easily. 
So, you know, knowing how the memorabilia business goes. So, so uh, I think this is a thing that needed to be done. Uh, I think you're right on that. Um, and, and you're going to start seeing more of these, uh, kind of signings, you know, and, and stuff. So I think, I think that that's good, you know, but you're not going to have any more fan days either. But then let them make the, the money off of their name, image, and likeness, you know, especially yeah. on autographs. And yeah. here's the thing, I'm very much okay with them kind of like fading away the fan day because I'm, I'm tired of seeing, you know, every year Alabama has their fan day and people are just running down Brian Denny. Mind you, I'm just tired of Alabama to begin with, but I'm tired of seeing the Alabama fans run down on A Day to go run see Nick Saban and, and tackling over little kids. Yep. No, I think, I think. I understand all that, you know. It's just it's it's uh, it, it's something, that, you know. I'm I'm one that likes to get the autograph for the autograph, not for the value yeah. of it and selling. Because I've never made money off. Of, I bought autographs and never made money off of what I've got. You know, so you know, I, I uh, eventually that'll be donated when I leave to to LSU to make money off of them or stuff or whoever, you know. Uh, to make money off of that, but it, it did get a little bit crazy on that. And they, that you need to have an order to it and everything. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I understand what you're saying about it. I, I'm, I'm going to miss the fan days and everything, but uh, there's a lot of people who took advantage yeah. of it and want to have multiple pictures with the players and we get hung up on the line anyway. So at least now we know where we're coming from. We pay the money, we get the autograph. Hey, I appreciate the call, my man. Appreciate the call. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get into more of the New Orleans Saints. But now that we're kind of getting some conversation going about name, image, and likeness, I'm going to touch on something briefly here. And I want people to tune in to the end of the hour because I got some thoughts about this because I saw this pop up just before I got on the air. This is coming from Brent Zwarneman of the Houston Chronicle, covers the Texas A&M Aggies, obviously more SEC. But I'm intrigued to see what's going on now with two Texas A&M players in particular in Isaiah Spiller, running back for the Ags, and Safety Damani Richardson. Because they've partnered up with Texas. It's a part of the Rivals Network, and they cover, obviously, Texas A&M Aggies with football recruiting and all that stuff. And mind you, Texas Billy Lucci makes some great content. But they're partnering up with these two and they're going to be making $10,000 each for exclusive sponsored interviews. You heard me right. That is an amazing statement. I want to see how that goes in the future with players getting paid for interviews with the media. That's interesting. I'll probably talk about that more as we progress on this Louisiana Saturday morning. If you want to call up, about the New Orleans Saints or anything else, hit us up 337 Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? 
These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. 337-706-0111. No guests in the two-hour program today. Obviously, we've gotten through a good bit of the show, 25 past the hour. About to hit that halfway mark of hour number one. But if you want to get on the conversation, 337-706-0111. Of course, one of the big storylines that popped up yesterday, I want to kind of get into it more on the defensive side right now about the New Orleans Saints. Because the Saints took a big hit with David Onyemata suspended six games due to testing positive for a banned substance. And I'm starting to be very wary of this defense, more because of the fact that you're going to get week one, it looms large. Now in hour two, I'm going to go more NFL-wide, but I'm also going to give you my prediction of how the Saints do game by game in 2021. I'm finally going to go ahead and do it now that we're in the month of July, and it looks more and more likely that we are seeing things kind of solidify. I can't think of anything that the Saints are going to wind up doing going forward to be trying like, Add another veteran guy because I think the one guy that you're probably wanting, he will no longer really be available or really worth it in a sense. And that's some uh, Richard Sherman, obviously, after what happened to him. Not a great look. Let's go ahead and put it that way. But you think about what's happened with this offseason alone. And we're, we're going to go through it from your defensive line, linebacker, and in your secondary. We're going to go secondary last. But start off with your defensive line. You lost two phenomenal players, Sheldon Rankins and Trey Hendrickson, to free agency. Trey Hendrickson, obviously he deserved his money. Rankins did too. But losing those two hurt a lot, especially Rankins on the line. Especially since you didn't really add anything truly amazing to the DL. You added Peyton Turner, who I'm not as apoplectic on the guy I was when his name got called in the NFL draft. You remember the the pick is in? You remember my live reactions to the draft? I was over the top, and I'll admit I thought that was going to be better. I thought he was it could have been a lot better pick, but I'm giving it a chance. If he stinks, I'll have plenty of ammo, but if he excels, I'll lead it on a crow. That's where I'm going to stand on that. That's where I stand on a lot of things, to be honest with you. But... Then you look at the way the void is right now after you lose Sheldon Rankins, Trey Richardson, Trey Hendrickson, excuse me, and now you lose David Onyemata for six games. Six games. And in case you didn't know, in case you've been living under a rock the last few months, the Saints play the Green Bay Packers to start the season. The Green Bay Wisconsin Packers. And then you got to play the Panthers and the Patriots in your first. Those are your first three games, and when you get them back, it'll be after Week Seven against the Seahawks. Thankfully, it'll be before the big game on Halloween night when they take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That said, it's slim pickings for the most part in terms of guys that are there that don't really move the needle outside of Shy Tuttle. Yeah, Malcolm Roach. Ryan Glass now, Shy Tuttle, and if he survives training camp, I think Lorenzo Neal is another one to kind of keep an eye on. 
Albert Huggins, eh, I mean, somewhat. But Glassdown is at least a name that we know. There's some other guys as well, like like Jalen Dalton and Josiah Josiah Bronson, but those guys are probably more akin to playing on the I'm trying to think of the word right now. Yeah, those guys probably playing more on the practice squad as opposed to the 53-man roster. I know it sounds kind of mean to say that, but it's just factual. Like You've got to try and figure out how your defense is going to look in terms of your depth if you don't have David Onyemata, who, by the way, I think we could say sheerly in terms of value is probably one of the best defensive players the Saints have gotten in the NFL draft in over the last like five to ten years. Because you got him, I know you've got guys like Marshall Lattimore who have been great, but you got this guy in the fourth round and are only been playing like football for like a handful of years. Dude comes from Nigeria, went to Canada to play football, and then you drafted this cat virtually out of obscurity in like day three of the draft. It was like a fourth round pick. And he's turned into a phenomenal defensive player on the in that front seven. And that's one of the most important parts of the Saints defense is a good defensive line. And what I've seen, I think that may be one of the most important cogs on that team. Now, obviously, your your defensive end, that's largely shored up. Because you got Marcus Davenport, Cam Jordan, and I think Peyton Turner and Noah Spence are going to be competing for that other spot. Because Marcus Davenport, he needs to know that those footsteps are starting to get a lot louder. This is the year where either you step your game up and you perform at a very high level, or good luck, God bless, you're going to be out the door after the season. You're going to be kicking rocks all the way down the road. But still, overall, really good defensive end position, but it's all about kind of the heart of it where the real big uglies square off. And I feel like at the end of the day, it's probably going to be between Shy Tuttle and I think Lorenzo Neal, could be, Lorenzo Neal Jr. and Ryan Glassdown are probably the more interesting ones. I know people are going to bring up Malcolm Roach, but he only played like a handful of games. So I'm not sure how he's going to perform. There's a lot of unknowns about him. Let's go ahead and just put it that way. Linebacker, obviously, you're going to be getting a lot of work from Demario Davis. He's absolutely been one of the best Saints free agency hires of all time on the defensive side of the football because he's been he's been damn near phenomenal. The guy from Arkansas State spent a decade in the league, and he deserves all the love. And I think 56 is going to have a really good season. Outside that, again, it's sort of bare bones. Not going to lie. Not a whole lot of just names that pop off the page for you. We're really going to get... Excited about Caden Ellis out of Idaho? Are we really going to get amped up about Chase Hansen out of Utah and heading into his second season in the league? Are we really going to be Pete Warner, a rookie out of Ohio State? Is he going to wind up making a big like leap in it? And then obviously you got guys like Vaughn. I I just I'm not sure where things are going to go. Obviously Zach Vaughn is going to be in a spot as well for that team in his second year. But are you going to have Demario Davis, Pete Warner, and Zach Bonner? Are those going to be your three guys that you use, in, I'm just saying, in a 4-3 defense? Just going ahead and keep it simple here. But I think, you know, those having two young guys 
and this veteran could be great. Now you just got to hope Pete Warner out of the Ohio State can live up to the hype because we know Sean Payton to a certain extent has a fetish for, and this isn't shaming, but he kind of has a fetish for guys from the Big Ten, more preferably the Ohio State University. You have Marshawn Lattimore. You got like I guarantee you, you got like more, you got like six players, and you've drafted a lot of these guys. Excuse me, you got you got five players: Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, Pete Warner, Mar- Malcolm Jenkins, Nick Vanette, who mind you probably is going to play a handful of games, and Michael Thomas. Yet. Five guys, all from Ohio State. And a lot of those guys, Sean Payton drafted. It's definitely, there's there's something to be said there. Meanwhile, you look at the way things are in the secondary. This is where things get a little iffy. Marcus Williams just signed a, got, just got franchise tagged not long ago. Malcolm Jenkins, he's not getting any younger. Another Ohio State guy. Again, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a, like a, a fetish almost, I would say, for... Ohio State and Sean Payton for one reason or another. But I think Chauncey Gardner Johnson is going to be get a lot a lot of opportunities. And I would be surprised if they kind of move him around a little bit, especially because of pending charges. Because we're still waiting to find out what's going to happen with Marshawn Lattimore. Is he going to be suspended? If so, how many games? If he's suspended the first four games, and you've got Ken Crawley, Paulson Adebo, you got those two guys. And Patrick Robinson, aging Patrick Robinson, you had those guys in the mix. It's going to be a rough day. And that's same counting guys like a JT Gray, who I wouldn't be surprised would be a part of it. I know Deuce Wallace is part of the roster, but you know I just don't necessarily think he's going to hit where you want him to be. PJ Williams as well. Like there's some really good depth, but in terms of top flight, like DBs, especially again especially with week one looming. If Aaron Rodgers is still playing for the Green Bay Packers in week one and you're bringing out, you don't have Marshawn Lattimore, you don't have you know, David Onyemata, two phenomenal draft picks, part of like a really great draft class, good luck to you because it just does not look great, at least from my POV. Now, could they turn it around and make this a really good season? I think they have every chance to do so. But it's that first week of the season, I got to say, it's absolutely going to be tough sledding for the early part of the season. Now, once these guys get back, he's obviously, you don't like, and here's the thing, we don't even know right now if Marshawn Lattimore is going to be, like, suspended. And we don't know how many games he's going to be suspended. That's going to be something we're going to have to deal with in the not-too-distant future. And, like, I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL just goes ahead and waits until a certain game to announce a suspension. Because the NFL loves to do this kind of stuff. I'm not going to say when, but you can kind of fill in the blanks if you know who the NFL likes the most. But we're going to talk more about the New Orleans Saints, more of the offensive side of the football. If you got to take 337-706-0111, it's Under the Dome with CD, and we'll be back next.
The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Is it coming home? They, that, that's all I heard like the last few days. Is it? Co- it's coming home. Is it? Has it? Did it come home? Like that, I, I don't know what that means, but I heard it a lot over the past weekend as we got into the Euro final between England and Italy. I think England lost, so I guess it didn't come home. It went home to the Italy team. I, I guess I don't. I don't necessarily know, but. That said, we're getting that much closer to Premier League, and that's coming home. I cannot wait for some Premier League soccer to kind of really get started again. Namely, of course, if you if you listen to the show enough, you know, like, while I, I, I make fun of the fact I don't know much about soccer and I know, like, just enough to kind of get by, I do watch one team in particular. And I'm I, I we play the rejoin and we play Manchester United stuff. Honestly, that's kind of my team. Like I have always mind just because I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. And that's the one sport where I'll gladly say, Hey, let me go ahead and set up shop and see how and, and join up on one team in particular, and that is the Reds. I mean, Manchester United's one of the better teams, and it goes against my typical POV when it comes to like Supporting a team and supporting the underdog, but they haven't won a, t- a like major championship in the Premier League in a long time. They've gotten close. They've they've basically been like one of those fringe teams, just based off of how the tables have been the last couple of years. Is last year, if I'm not mistaken, they were actually like I think they were they they always wind up like in the top four. Last year's. Because they finished second, and they were just very much like up and down a lot. And the thing is with this, it's like if you've never watched soccer, it's a long bleeping season. I mean, it starts in like August and doesn't end till like almost June, depending on what kind of year it is, and if you got the World Cup or you got the Olympics going on or whatever. But the last few years, I mean, the team's been pretty like decent. They're not, they're not winning championships, but they're more importantly, contending for championships. So I'm looking forward to seeing some more Manchester United because, well, why not? I, I Again, I enjoy a little bit of soccer. I think now that I'll be waking up a little bit earlier to get ready for the show, now that it's on at this time of day, I'm all the way here for it and be able to enjoy some soccer. I'm going to be up early watching these. and If not, I'm going to watch it on, online, on demand, and I'm looking forward to that, but it's 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 apparently coming home again. I I, I know what it means. I was I'm, I'm being a little more facetious than anything because I just I didn't make fun of that rejoin there for a second. But anyways, let's get to some actual honest to god American football and talk about training camp with the New Orleans Saints. And I think without a doubt, the quarterback battle is the most intriguing part of it because there's no doubt that everybody is talking about this. Is it going to be Jameis or is it going to be Taysom Hill? Which one is it going to land on? And I've been saying it probably since March, if not earlier, that I think Jameis Winston is going to get the opportunity to start the season. He's going to start the season for the for the Saints. I almost said the Bucks. 
want to think this is, what, 2019? Come on now. He's going to be starting for the Saints, I think, in my mind, week one. And I think if he underperforms over the first two or three games, I think Sean Payton pulls out his Taysom Hill card and puts him in as the starter. Now, what defines like falling short in the first two or three games when you've got the Packers, who obviously are going to be a contender if Aaron Rodgers plays? If he doesn't play for the Packers, it's going to be weird for a lot of reasons. Namely, you know, I think the Green Bay Packers, it, without Aaron Rodgers, they're, they're, they're a sinking ship. But then you have the Saints play the Packers, the Panthers, excuse me, and the Patriots. They played three Ps to start the season. So that'd be fun. Talk about more when I get into my predictions an hour, too. But just looking strictly at Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, and that debate, I think that if you go one and two and your one win is against the New against the Carolina Panthers, I think the Patriots are going to be a lot better. I think the biggest key is going to be a whole thing. I'm like, I think there's a statement where the Panthers, I feel like they've still, they're still trying to figure out who they are. And I'm not necessarily sure, you know, Sam Darnold is going to save the day for that franchise. I think they made a mistake getting rid of Teddy Bridgewater. They pulled the trigger too early. Obviously got a new coach, new regime, everything. It's, it's virtually all brand new outside of the two leaders in the clubhouse. But I think in the first three games, you're going to be able to have a good look at what you see from Jameis Winston. If you see Jameis Winston put together some really solid numbers and he gets him to 2-1, and one, he gets to keep his job. Even if you're like 1-2 and two and they're very close ball games and you know, Jameis Winston looks like he's much improved from the last couple years with the Tampa Bay Bucks, I think Sean Payton gives him a little bit more, a little more leeway. That's just how I see it. That's how I see it right now. But if you see that touchdown interception ratio after the first three games be very lopsided in the interception category, I think Taysom Hill comes out because you can't have a guy like Jameis Winston throwing out picks and giving out turnovers like he's at the bakery. I can just not stop laughing at those turnover memes from a while back. In fact, I, I saw one. I went up the other day kind of scrolling through my social media feed, seeing stuff I posted, and I realized I post like a picture of turnovers and Jameis Winston. Like it. I was like, okay, I forgot about that. That, that was funny. Now he, now he plays for us, and hopefully he doesn't throw 50-11 turnovers in a game. Because if he does, Jameis Winston comes in. If he has a game against the Packers to start the season that's god-awful, I wouldn't be surprised if that trigger is pulled sooner. Because Sean Payton, we've talked about before, wants to be the smartest guy in the room and wants to prove himself and prove a point that Taysom Hill is his guy. Taysom Hill is the guy that's going to lead this team to the promised land. I'm not necessarily sure that's going to work out the way that he thinks it's going to. I could be completely wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll always admit I've been wrong a lot. So if I'm wrong here, you can gladly like just yell at me about it. And even if Taysom Hill fails, boy, oh, boy, the future does not look bright. 
happy is if Jameis Winston doesn't work out well, Taysom Hill doesn't work out, who you got left? Get Ian Book out of Notre Dame. I've said it before. And it, like I think it's just more of the fact that it's Notre Dame. I don't, I, I've seen film on him. After I ran and raved against him, I thought Ian Book looked better than I thought he was going to, based off of what I saw on film. That said, I still would have liked Sam Ellinger out of Texas. I think I saw a lot more film out of him, and I and I think I liked him. And I had the fact Sean Payton loves Texas boys. I think that would have been a lot better. But, of course, Sean Payton, of course, telegraphed his move on the Dan Patrick Show and acted like he didn't say that. No, he did, and he knew what he did. So that's kind of where I'm at. With the Saints, I think the quarterback battle is going to be intriguing because it's going to tell a lot about the future post Drew Brees. Because are we going to be able to see a smooth transition of power? Or could this be a lot like the Dallas Cowboys post-Troy Aikman? Because it took a while before they found Tony Romo, who wound up being a really good... People want to hate on Tony Romo because he never won a Super Bowl, never got the team anywhere close to it. But at the end of the day, he still made a Dallas Cowboys team that was fair to middling for a good bit of the early 2000s and was able to get them to be a contender more often than not. And that's a far cry from what we're seeing now with Dak Prescott. Now, mind you, the whole Dallas Cowboys thing, I think it's just more because the team just keeps getting snake bit and Jerry Jones continues to screw things up one way or another. But we'll talk more about the NFL-wide, especially the NFC, to start off our number two. It's Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show, wrap up the hour, excuse me, and talk about what's going on with Texas A&M, the Aggies, and name, image, and likeness interviews. This is a step in the right, step in the direction I don't necessarily know that I like. But we'll talk about that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay off me i'm starving now back to under the dome on 1037 the game acadiana's sports station welcome back to under the dome with cd and it's almost 10 o'clock and i'm already kind of getting hankering for something for lunch don't know what i'm gonna get just yet but appreciate everybody for listening in to the program so far. We're going to get hour number two started in just a little bit. But I saw this pop up, mentioned it earlier in the show, talk about name, image, and likeness. I'm intrigued to see how this goes. And it's, there's going to be exclusive featured interviews on texags.com involving two Texas A&M Aggies, Texas A&M running back Isaiah Spiller and safety Damani Richardson. to be earning $10,000 as part of a deal to do this ahead of SEC Media Days next week. And it's under the new name, image, likeness stuff. I don't know how that's necessarily going to go. But obviously in a world where I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, interviews get treated like this to a certain extent, especially with some publications. Because there's going to be there's a market for it. And if you want to have the an exclusive scoop, this could be the step in that direction to where you're going to have a fanatical idea to go ahead and do something like this, to partner up with a business to drum up X amount of dollars to get an exclusive interview. Like, let's say, you know, let's throw out 
103.7 the game. Let's use 103.7 the game as an example, just as a pure hypothetical. Let's say we partnered up with such and such business. Like, let's say Eat Lafayette. We partnered with Eat Lafayette, and we got Levi Lewis to do an exclusive interview with us one-on-one. I want to see how that happens going forward with a lot of other programs because I'm not necessarily sure it's going to be like received all that well, at least, at least amongst the media world. Mind you, get your money. That's great. But I just don't know how well-received it's going to be just because you're going to have people out there basically going hand over fist to try and get that exclusive interview and paying X amount of dollars to get that interview. That way, the other company doesn't get it. The competition doesn't get it. It's it's a little weird, but it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. We'll be back after this hour two of two. Coming up next right here on 103.7 The Game, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game hey welcome everyone hour two of two of under the dome with cd coming down the pike before too long You'll be getting to your weekend. I'll be getting to my weekend in style. And, of course, we're coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide. And you can hear this worldwide through the 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app, Amazon Smart Speakers. And, of course, if you miss anything, you can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast app you have. Just search Under the Dome with CD. You'll see it. And, of course, you can listen to us, and hopefully you are, through that old-school FM dial. He has the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And I got to love. That's perfect way to kind of start off your Saturday. And then, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful weekend more because of the fact that we've got the Open Championship going on right now. Uh, you got a couple last final groups still waiting to get started, namely, you know, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa. They they're, haven't started their third round just yet, but we'll find out what their score looks like a little bit later on. Meanwhile, Louis Oosthuizen is actually in the lead heading into the third round at 11-under. Louis Oosthuizen. It's Louis Oosthuizen. Louis Oosthuizen. Okay, whatever. We're just going to move on from that one. Louis Oosthuizen. We get it. It's Louis Oosthuizen. You, you, you know how to pronounce it right, Mike. But anyways, welcome back. Under the Dome with CD. You can call us up, 337-706-0111. We'll be talking more NFL in this hour. I can give my thoughts on what I think about each division and how I see things going. Next week, we're going to go more, a lot more, I would say, 
into the fire when it comes to the state of the SEC, LSU, and the Cajuns and the Sun Belt. We're going to get more into that, I think, in next week's show. No doubt in my mind. I'm already kind of have some ideas for it. But anyways, so before we get into all of that about the AFC, because we'll start there, LSU's going to be playing in the historic Rose Bowl Stadium for the first time ever. They have never played there. It's a phenomenal stadium. My buddy Cody shoots. Shout out to him out in New Roads. Maybe he's te- coaching the kids with the T ball and all that stuff. I haven't talked to him in a while, but you can be there for all the action when LSU plays UCLA at the Rose Bowl with 1037 The Game's Tiger Road Trip Giveaway. You can sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037TheGame.com to score a round trip chartered flight from Baton Rouge to the City of Angels, Los Angeles, three night hotel accommodations. Hotel airport transfers, game day tickets, and an invite to a pregame party that's right next to the stadium. You can't go wrong with that. A pregame party that we can give you a little little pregame action going on. Have yourself a good time before we even get into the Rose Bowl. And of course, this Tiger Road Trip is driven by Sterling Automotive Group, Total Sport Travel, and 1037 the game, Acadiana's reigning, defending, undisputed. Sports Talk Station. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself here. We're getting to more NFL stuff right now. Because I've got some thoughts about each division. And for me, I think it can be summed up in a lot of different ways. The AFC East will start there. It's without a doubt the Bills division to lose. And it's going to be a very competitive division, I think, in my mind. I talked about earlier the AFC East. I mean, you have you know probably one of the more interesting teams headed into the season in the Miami Dolphins. Can they improve even more with a full year of Tua Tagovailoa, the New England Patriots? Can they turn it around after a really rough 2020 where they just absolutely, you know what, the bed? The Miami Dolphins were a fringe playoff team last year, and they had every chance to get in front, to get towards the front of the line, but it didn't happen. It just didn't matter. The Buffalo Bills were dominant in the AFC East last year. They took over, and it was a surprise. But at the same time, I got you. Got to think that they are the absolute front runners, and the AFC East is possibly going to be the wave of the future. Be a, a I'll give credit to Deadspin for bringing this up, that it's possibly it's the youngest group of signal callers in the league right now, just based off of what your observations are going to be. Hypothetically, you could have Mac Jones, Tua Tungavailoa, Zach Wilson, and Josh Allen, all ranging between 21 and 25 years of age, averaging 22.75. That's amazing, number one. Meanwhile, a lot of other teams, they're like, I think the closest one is going to be 25 and a half as the average age between the AFC West teams in Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, Derek Carr, and Drew Locke. And Derek Carr is the elder statesman at 30. Which, again, this kind of makes me feel old because I'm 32. And seeing the AFC East, for the most part, be a, like you got in the case of Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, being about 10 years younger than me. I think I'm about ready to break out, like, it's like here's how you know when you got old. 
if you were born in like 89, if you're born in the 80s or not, 80s or so, once you see kids that are born in the year 2000 and are able to buy alcohol right now, that's when you know you've gotten old. And it's scary. I mean, it's almost the same way when we saw guys who were getting recruited and they were born in the year 2000. Same kind of thing. But just the AFC East in particular, it's an extremely young, inexperienced group of signal callers. And I think this is going to be intriguing more because of the fact that you have young guys in there. I think, obviously, the New York Jets have a lot of work to do to turn this thing around. I don't necessarily think they're going to be anywhere close to it. If I were to put out a preseason ranking right now about where I see the AFC East, I'd probably put the Buffalo Bills one. I'd put the Patriots two, but I think it's more tentative. If you see Cam Newton like go off, then he's going to be the guy to take over that spot. He'll be the starting quarterback, and then this whole youngest group of signal callers could be very much a moot point. That said, I like what I've seen from the AFC East just in the last couple of years because of the fact that it, now it's not the Patriots and everybody else. The Bills are competitive. The Jets have a chance to be in the next couple of years. And obviously, the Miami Dolphins, I feel like they are in the poise, they're poised to make a comeback. Because when's the last time that the Miami Dolphins were at least relevant? It's been a hot minute. And I'm talking about like week 16, like playoff fringe relevant. Probably Dan Marino days. That's the last time I can think of that they were actually, honest to goodness, like a team that heading into the, a particular year, you didn't know a whole heck of a lot about, but you were intrigued to see what they did. That's kind of where I'm at with them. Now let's go to the AFC North, and the word I just I, I just put one word in my notes. Stacked. And we go back to the quarterback conversation. You've got Joe Burrow in his second year, hopefully his first full year. I think the offensive line like conversation, that needs to kind of like shut up. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just basically how I feel. This Injury bug that he had, the injury he had was kind of a freak accident, and the offensive line got better without him. I'm almost certain that Joe Burrow, the game is slowing down, was already starting to slow down for him last year. I guarantee you that thing is going to be slowing down like to the nth degree. So I think the AFC North probably has the most intrigue for me because the Browns are going to be good, the Ravens are going to be good, and you've got Ben Roethlisberger. If he stays healthy, the, you know the Steelers are going to be good. And I think you've got a chance for two teams from the AFC North to take those wild card spots. And if that happens, whoo boy, that's going to be a lot of fun to see how much, to see how competitive that division can be. I think Joe Burr, I, if I again, if I were to put a ranking on it, I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. I'll go Browns one. I'll go Bengals 2, Ravens 3, Steelers 4. And it's not because, and I'm going more because I just don't know if Ben Roethlisberger can stay healthy over the course of the 17-game season. If Roethlisberger's healthy, I think you move them up to 2, and then you move the Bengals down to 4, because I think 
Lamar Jackson is going to get that team a little bit over the hump, and I feel like Ben Roethlisberger is just going to sweep the Cincinnati Bengals like they have in the past. Could be completely wrong there, but that's kind of where I'm at with Joe Burrow. Year two is going to be fun, though. Add the fact that he's got one of his old running mates as a wide receiver. That's going to be fun. Can't wait to see how that goes. Meanwhile, the NFC South. Let's go to that right now. And this is going to be very tough division to kind of like really know. It's it's all like the NFC North. There's a lot of unknown. And you don't know, really know outright who's the true favorite. You would think, you know, in your heart of hearts, it's Tennessee, right? But at the same time, you've got the Indianapolis Colts. They've got a new face in Carson Wentz after the Phillip Rivers experiment. I think it went not necessarily as good as they wanted, but it was still solid enough to get you to a certain point. I think Carson Wentz could be that answer that the Indianapolis Colts need in the not-too-distant future. But then you've got Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Where do they stand in the hierarchy? Where does where do they stand? Because we all know what the bottom looks like. Everything else can kind of be shuffled up. Because you've got, you know, Deshaun Watson at the bottom. And if I were to put my rankings, they'd be they'd be fourth. You'd probably would put I'd probably put the Jaguars third because I think they're going to be growing. There'll be some growing pains year one, especially with Urban Meyer and his antics, and I'm sure he, he won't take losing very well. And then you, you're between Ryan Tannehill and the Colts. For me, I'll go with the Titans to win the division. Carson Wentz and the Colts are going to just come up a little bit short. And again, it's going to be a team that misses a wild card that honestly any other year should have made it in, if not for an extremely stacked AFC North. Now we get to the West. It's the Chiefs' kingdom. It's The Chiefs are going to be holding dominion over them, in my mind. And they're going to continue to hold court. Herbert's going to improve a lot in year two. He's going to have a full year under his belt. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. So I think they're going to be probably second in the division. I think Derek Carr at one point is going to fall apart. And they're going to finish third. The Broncos, I'm hopeful they can be in that third spot, but I'm placing them in the fourth spot because I'm giving them a lot of room to grow. Because of the fact that I just don't necessarily know about a whole heck of a lot about the Broncos and how things looked with them last year. Because it was such an up-and-down year, and then you had a game, literally you had a game, where you didn't play a single actual quarterback on the roster. You had to improvise. Not a great look, Bob. Not a great look at all. We'll take a quick timeout. It's under the dome with CD, and we'll get to the NFC next right here on 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com.
numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037, The Game. Welcome back to welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. There we go. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning. Get ready for the weekend. And I know I'm sure excited about the weekend because the Astros kicked off the second half of the season with a big win over the Chicago White Sox. Definitely fantastic stuff, especially after what happened to start. Like heading into the All-Star break with losing two out of three to the New York Yankees. A phenomenal like rally in the ninth by the Strohs against the Yankees. Put me in a good mood. I like our guy, Footsie. But getting a win was absolutely huge. I can't wait for Game 2 tonight, and you'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game. First pitch going to be at 6.10. But now we're going to get on over to the 103.7 The Game hotline. Let's see who we got. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, it's Ralph. It hey, Ralph. What's, what's good, man? Hey, man. Um, I know you're going to be getting to this with the NFC South, and if you haven't talked about it already, but uh, I was really disappointed to, to hear the news about David Onyemata being suspended for, for six games. You know, that's that's a... That's a huge loss at a position that we were already really thin at. And, you know, now it kind of puts a, a question mark. Do you still go after a second cornerback or, or does now another defensive tackle become, you know, a bit of a priority? It's tough because now you got to almost flip a coin because you think about it. You you have David on your suspended. You still don't know the status right now of Marshawn Lattimore because you know he's probably going to be suspended for at least, I'm saying at least two games. Who's to say if the NFL and all their infinite wisdom puts the Saints behind even more of a, you know, a barricade, if you will, and has them suspended for more than two games? I would think two is the ideal number for his infraction. Well, and the thing about that, too, is, you know, if you're going to. If you're going to suspend him, you know, do it now. I mean, give us the penalty now. So at least you can plan and say, okay, two games, yeah, we can, you know, our first two opponents are here, here, you know, we can get by. But if it's four games, if it or, or more, then then now you're really yeah. you know, behind the eight ball. And and I, but that you know that's just typical Roger Goodell when it comes to the Saints. I'm I'm sorry, but we just we do get treated differently than yep. the rest of the NFL, but. But I still, I still say cornerback priority. Although we have really nothing at, at at true nose tackle, you know. Once we lost Malcolm Brown and Sheldon Rankins, that, those are two huge free agent losses. But because of the modern NFL passing game, I, I still think you know you, you're going to have to have that the, the secondary in good shape. And, I mean, and hopefully... you need it, you need it for week one. Like that's the big thing. You need it for week one because yeah. you're playing one of the yeah. best. Like passers, hopefully, you're presumably, I should say, you're presumably playing against one of the best passers in the league in Aaron Rodgers. Now, if he goes somewhere else, it's a different conversation. Yeah, and everything I'm hearing is that there's a really good chance that he will be at be somewhere else, and, and that that would not break my heart. I would uh, no, I would definitely love to see some love the uh, the, the first week for sure. But uh, but yeah, um, looking forward to it. But uh, I tell you what, if and I'm, and I'm as diehard a Saints fan as as they come, but but I'm going to tell you if Tampa Bay's defense plays anywhere near to the level they played the last 
six to eight games of last season, uh, that they're going to win the division. I mean, they, they were at – that's who won the Super Bowl. It wasn't Tom Brady. It was that yeah. Tampa Bay defense. They're, they're unbelievable. So, anyway, have a great day, uh, CD. Enjoy the show, man. And let's just hope that uh, the Saints can catch a break sooner or later. I, I'm just going to say this much. I don't know what he put in his body. And it, it, I, I get it. It's their responsibility to know. But if it's a supplement, like you truly said, and it had some ingredient in it, that's just so hypocritical on the part of the NFL when, when they know the teams are shooting up guys at halftime with painkillers and whatnot so they can go out you know, and finish the – you know, and and the game and all, and you know, they need to just read. I think look at the if it's anabolic steroids, that's one thing. But but supplements that I, I just you know, I, to me that's just ridiculous. No, ex- exactly. And I appreciate the call, Ralph. As always, you can call us up right now three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. Get to my NFC thoughts in a moment. But you bring up the fact like we just don't know what it was. And it's a banned substance. But here's the thing. It could have been a dietary supplement or it could have been. I, I was listening to some radio and people were saying it could have been a little bit of the green. Let's go ahead and just call it that. Call it like we see it. He's gotten popped for possession of marijuana before. I'm not saying that's what it was. But you can assume because he didn't outright say, oh, hey, it, it, he said it was just a banned substance. Mentioned dietary supplement as well, which those always have like some weird stuff to it. Like those dietary supplements, especially like the stuff that NFL players take. It's a lot. There's a lot of like just weird stuff that goes on with those things. And I'm sure maybe either that or was just a high level of something like, because we talk about all the time. And we talked about a while back with David Grubling. We were talking about the Olympics and some guys getting banned because of a, high testosterone level, and that was just more the natural level of those guys in that particular region. I, believe that, I don't think it was Nigeria, but I could be I could be completely off base here. But it's something like that. And it's like it's a weird look. And it's a six-game suspension. If it's for the Mary Jane, then yeah, like, I think the NFL should be changing their stance on that a lot because it is legal in a lot of states that NFL teams do play in. I again completely off could be completely off base here, but I think there's something a little wee bit fishy on that front. If it's the dietary supplements, then I think there's at least some reasoning behind it. But even then, I'm like, what was it? What's its effects, side effects, what have you? How much does it truly enhance your performance? That's the million dollar question. But again, we probably will never know the outright answer of it. Because I'm sure that David Onyemata is going to be held to silence. At least it's what I think. But Onyemata, again, I talked about it in hour one. And in case you missed it in hour one, I'll tell you it now. David Onyemata, over the last, I'd say, 10 years, is probably the best four-value, four-value defensive player the Saints have drafted. In the last decade, I think he's the single best like for value guy came from Nigeria, went to Canada, played some football there and only like really played football for about three or four years. He was very green, at least in the terms of NFL players, because NFL like American players, they've been playing pretty much since pop Warner in some cases. 
especially more back in the day with Pop Warner. They, they started playing Pop Warner when they were four or five years old. And then they moved up, played middle school, played high school, played college. They spent years around it. They were in the mud and developed into like superstars. And now we're seeing more and more guys coming over from across countries and having an opportunity to play at a very high level. And I want to see how much further it goes going forward with someone like that. But again, it's going to be fun. Now let's get into some of my NFC thoughts real quick before we take a quick timeout because I want to get to the Saints season and get my predictions in for 2021. So the NFC East might not suck. That's kind of my first takeaway. It might not be horrible. And I think it's the fact that you've got the Dallas Cowboys. I think now you got, you've got you paid Dak Prescott. Now he's got some motivation. And I think now also you have a new quarterback in the saddle with the Philadelphia Eagles in Jalen Hurts. And you got a new head coach, and I feel like that head coach is going to have a chance to do some great things. Now if he actually pulls it off is anybody's guess. But... I'd probably, if I were to put my rankings in, it'd be Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, excuse me, Cowboys, Eagles. I'll go Giants because I think Daniel Jones has like exceeded expectations at this point. And I'm putting him there some because I feel like Washington football team deserves to just die in a fire because they can never get it right. They got Ron Rivera, who was able to take the Carolina Panthers, who were Jamokes, and turn them into a contender within a few years. If he can't save your franchise and how much how cursed they've been probably since, you know, the Joe Theismann days, getting somebody actually halfway decent to be a quarterback for that franchise is like is horrible. Like, mind you, the Saints have had some relatively speaking bad luck. Yes, they had guys like Aaron Brooks who got the job done and got him the first playoff win. But outside of Drew Brees and Archie Manning, I think the tier list of quarterbacks it goes down a lot. There's no, there's no, there's not like B tier guys. It's either your S tier or your or your C or D tier. If we were tier tier ranking every single quarterback, and maybe I'll do that one day, like just separately, outside of under the dome with CD, and just tier list and rank each and every like Saints quarterback and see how they kind of land. Because that would be a that'd be a fun experiment, I think, to say the least. But hopefully, this is how it goes in the NFC East. Cowboys, as much as I hate, it, it pains me to say it, but I feel like the Cowboys are gonna are gonna win the East. Jalen Hurts is gonna be uh, the Eagles are gonna be in second, and the Giants are in third, and the Washington Football Team, or whatever they want to call themselves, they're going to be dead last. And I think the East won't be nearly as god awful as it was in the last like two or three years. You'll see a team from the NFC East be above five hundred. I am hopeful of that. Because if not, I guarantee you Jerry Jones may be throwing you know Dak Prescott out of a window like a Sean Michaels did to Marty Janetti. Now we get to the NFC North. Again, if Aaron Rodgers plays for the Green Bay Packers week one and he plays for the entire season, I gotta think that the Green Bay Packers win the division. But let's get out to the phone lines. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Yes, uh, 
good morning, I guess. I'm kind of hey. lost on what time it is. It's, it, um, it's, it's, I'd say it's almost afternoon. Okay, okay. Yeah, you, 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 I want to, I hope I'm around to catch your program as far as the list of um, um, Saints quarterbacks because you said you put Drew Brees and Archie Manning as. I'd say, I'd say they Drew Brees, of course, is a given. But yeah. Archie Manning, Archie Manning was trash. <laughs> but it's just the fact, like the legacy of him, like being part of that, those early days of the franchise. I think if you put Archie Manning, probably like a few years later, you'd probably have a better chance to see him excel. I think he had, he's 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 he was a great quarterback at Ole Miss, and I think he had he just didn't have enough chances to succeed because you look at the amount of talent he had, there wasn't much there back then. And I agree, but if you would have had Archie Manning with the talent he had today and the same record, he would have been on the bench after his second year. And you know this. Yeah. It's a given. I mean, he never had a record. Well, he never played on a Saints team that had a plus 500 record, correct? Correct, correct. You know, um, no quarterback in today's NFL could say that they, they they kept their starting job and never had a winning yep. record as a starter. Oh, no, but multiple, I, multiple years. I mean, absolutely none. You know what? I was I was going to do it more off-air, but I'm going to do it on-air. I'll probably do it in the next couple weeks because next week's going to be more SEC and Sunbelt-oriented. Probably the next couple weeks, I'll do the rankings right here on the show and break down the tier list of Saints quarterbacks. I just threw out Archie Manning. He'd probably be like more, but it's like like I said, you can only think of like a handful of quarterbacks that would be towards the top of your rankings in terms of a tier list, and then everybody else is towards like C, D, or F tier, right? Yeah, and I would put him in that C, D, or F category. Yeah, no, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there's not a whole lot of like wiggle room. It's not like when you look at, let's say, I'm throwing hypothetically, you know. The San Francisco 49ers, there's like a, there's, there was a time where you have like several guys that would probably be in that A or S and probably some guys that would land in the B. It's, it's like, it's so top heavy with Drew Brees. These Drew Brees would be default in the S tier and everybody, then it's just trying to figure out where everybody else fits in just in terms of strictly their time with the New Orleans Saints. And that is true. That is true. But look, I'll let you go because I need to get back to trying to finish up a little bit of work around the yard. So enjoy the rest of your day. So. I appreciate it, man. Keep listening in. And I'm going to go ahead and kind of throw this around. We're going to keep this going. So we'll see. If we get, keep getting calls, we might just take a break and then I'll finish my NFC North thoughts and then I'll get to a quick Saints season prediction. We'll talk about that in a second. But I was talking about the NFC North. I'll kind of go through my rankings with that right now. NFC North, I think. And this is if Aaron Rodgers plays. It's Green Bay 1. I'd say Detroit would probably be number 2. Minnesota number 3 because I think Minnesota is so up and down. And then the Bears are 4 because I just don't. there's so much unknown with them. And if Justin Fields doesn't play Week 1 and he get Andy Dalton, I definitely think they're going to be one of the dead last teams. But let's get out to the phone lines. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, CD. How's it going, man? Hey, what's up, brother? Hey, I just wanted to uh, disagree with that last caller about Archie Manning. Okay. Uh, I, I I think if Archie would have played on one of the Drew Brees' teams with the line that he had, the yeah. weapons that he had, I think Archie Manning would have thrived. 
I think you could say yeah. that. I think you could say that about a lot of guys. I'm not gonna lie. Like, if you put any of the quarterbacks from the New Orleans Saints in, in that in this modern era, I think a lot of them probably would thrive to a certain level. It's just looking at the numbers. He, I mean, he had a very like mediocre touchdown interception ratio, one fifteen to one fifty six. It's some. It's one of the big kind of parameters you look at in terms of your touchdown interception ratio. We talk about it all the time with Jameis Winston and the way he's performed over the last few years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's something that's hurt him a lot. He was throwing fifty five percent, which, mind you, in nineteen seventies, like the seventies and early eighties. That was probably pretty damn solid because you were still more of a running back, running run oriented team because that's the way the game was played back then. Because you didn't see guys throwing three thousand yards all that often. I mean, um, Archie Manning only did that about twice in his career with the New Orleans Saints. And I think that was an amazing feat to throw for that yeah. many yards back then. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I appreciate the call, man. We got one more. And we're going to take a quick time out after we take this call. I'm going to finish my NFC thoughts, and I might get to my NFC and my Saints predictions for 2021 in terms of the schedule game by game. But now we go out to the phone lines one more time this segment. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. All I'm saying is if Aaron Brooks ain't on the same level as Archie is best of all time, y'all don't know what the hell y'all talking about. I'm going to hang up now. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I appreciate the call. I appreciate all the calls, man. I, I talk about Saints quarterback rankings, and everybody just starts to kind of go a little haywire, and I love it. I love a little chaos. I'll just be honest with you. But we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, I'm going to get real quick, and I'm going to talk about the NFC West, and I'll get to the NFC South, and I'll have something to do with my Saints 2021 predictions. We'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game. 1037 The Game at dot com 337-706-0111. And I'm going to go ahead and try and finally get to what I wanted to talk about with the Saints schedule. But first, let me hit the NFC West real quick. He's want to get to that before I talk about the NFC South because it's going to have something to do with what I want to kind of get into about the Saints and the way I see things and the way the NFC South works out. So the NFC West is probably the most intriguing division in the league. I talked about this before, and I'll say it again. You've got the Seattle Seahawks, who are probably going to be a really good team in the West, could be a division champ if things go a certain way. Kyler Murray in his second year, I am – no, excuse me. Third year, third year, there we go. His third year, I don't know why I was thinking it was his, my brain just completely fell apart there. But this is going to be his third year. You have a 
J.J. Watt added to the team. You've got a really good defense building. You've got a really good offense, high-powered. And, yes, you got Larry Fitz kind of going away, but I still think you got so much talent to choose from. Kyler Murray's going to have absolutely no excuse why he can't get this team into one of those two wild-card spots. Because I think it's going to come down to the NFC South and the NFC West in terms of your, your really, like, two top guys. Because it's going to be such a stack, like, grouping. And, of course, we're thinking San Francisco. Jimmy G, I wouldn't be surprised if he – if he. I'd be surprised if he doesn't play for the – he doesn't start for the 49ers. I know they probably want to give Trey Lance as much of a chance as possible. But I think you're going to kind of let him be the new Pat Mahomes. Give him some time behind, you know, Jimmy G. Before you go into what could be a very fun division, because I have to think you got the L.A. Rams going with the vet in Matthew Stafford. The Rams still have some work to do. I think they're going to be that middle-of-the-pack type team, and then you throw in the San Francisco 49ers. If they stay healthy, they're going to be a number two or number three team. I think it's I, if my rankings, I'd probably say it's the San Francisco 49ers, if healthy, the Seahawks second, but it's but it could flip flop at any given time. It's going to be very close. Kyler Murray and the Cardinals going to be three, and then number four is going to be the LA Rams. But it's more because of the fact that a lot like the AFC South, even though you're going to be probably very good, you're going to wind up getting knocked down a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. But let's get to the Saints schedule because it's going to have something to say about the NFC South because I think it's going to be a two-horse race. I'll go ahead and say that first. But I want to look at the Saints' 2021 schedule, and I'll go through it like quickly because I only have like enough time to get through it real quick before one final take to end the show. So for me, Green Bay is going to be a loss, and that's if Aaron Rodgers plays. I'm going with the condition that Aaron Rodgers does indeed play. Then you have... Saints-Panthers, that's a win for the Saints. Then you travel to Foxborough in like late September to take on the Patriots. I'm putting that as a win for the Saints right now because it's early on in the season. If you know Cam Newton falls apart and Mac Jones comes in to take over, that could help the Saints out tremendously. New York Giants, you host them on October 3rd. I think the Saints go 3-1 and one there. So your first four games of the season, you go 3-1 and one without... Marshawn Lattimore potentially, and definitely without Sheldon, I almost said Sheldon Rankins, David Onyemata, that's massive. Then you play the Washington football team. The Washington football team has been a real like thorn in your side too, but I feel like this play, this team has been a dumpster fire since RG3 left, and since Kirk Cousins, it's been a mess, almost a curse. So for me, Saints improved to 4-1. and one. Then they play the Seahawks heading into the bye week at Seattle Monday Night Football. Again, Seattle's a tricky team, especially at home primetime. Last few years, the Saints have played them. It's been more like your mid-afternoon fair, and the Saints have somehow, somehow been able to eke out a win. I think the Seahawks do get the Saints number this go-round, and they drop to 4-2 and two heading into the bye week, which is a great thing. I think if you pull that off and you get to 4-2, and two, head into the bye week before you get back Sheldon Rankins, not, not the bye week, you have the bye week, so you, you you're four and one headed into the bye. Then you're four and two coming out of it is what it is because you had a really tough opponent. You have short rest against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a three twenty five kick on a Halloween night. 
I got to think that the Saints do win this go-round because the Dome, presumably, I don't know what the future holds with this COVID-19 ordeal with the variants and all that stuff. Is who's to say there's going to be another variant not too long down the road? But Bucks, I got to go with them getting the win, losing on this go round. I think the Bucks split. I think that's the one split the Saints have the season in terms of the divisional opponents. The next week they play the Atlanta Falcons. That's a win. Titans is a tough one. The Titans have like the last few years have had the number and it's been very much like nail biting games against the Tennessee Titans. You had Derrick Henry, you're going to have to stop him, and you have to figure out everything else involving other opponents. You have to figure all of this out. So for me, I'm going to go with the Saints beating the Titans. Like very, It's going to be a very slim margin. So about halfway through the season, they're going to be 5-2. They'll be 7-2, and two, which is really good. Now comes your more like difficult part. I think the Eagles on the road early November that plays into their favor a lot. So I'll go Eagles win very close. Bills Saints Bills win Thanksgiving night in the Superdome because the Bills just look to be a really good team. They're building a lot of momentum, so they'll put the Saints at seven and four. They play the Cowboys on Thursday night. I'll go the Saints here at home. Because the Cowboys just have had moments where they can win, but they've fallen apart the last few years against the New Orleans Saints. Then the Saints play the Jets, so they'll go to nine and four, heading into the home stretch when you play the Bucks on the road. I already have them penciled in as a loss there, so that's going to be nine and five. Then you have Dolphins Saints. I'm going Dolphins here, and it's going to be a big upset. So I think it's going to be a nine. So you'll be nine and six. I think the Saints will wind up being eleven and six. Ten and seven, I think, is where the Saints land when it's all said and done. Because I think that even the Falcons game week week eighteen is going to be a game that could trip you up. If you're, like, let's say the Saints wind up going like twelve and five, they'll be twelve and five because of losing to the. Falcons the last week of the season because I think 12-5 and five locks you down at least a wild card spot. Now getting to the NFC South in the rankings, I think the Carolina Panthers have a lot to work out work on. And they'll be fourth in my rankings. Then we get to the South, and I think Matt Ryan goes to third. I think they... They've still got some work to do. I think Matt Ryan's going to be towards the end of his career. I don't know if he's even going to be playing in Week 18. He could be injured. He's not getting any younger. And then you got Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Saints. I agree with Ralph. I think the I think the Bucks lead the NFC South and they take over. But I'm not sure it's going to be like a landslide because the Saints will make it competitive. It'll come down to about that week 16 or so game where it's must win for the Bucks to either win the NFC South or go back into the wild card again, and Brady would have to fight back again for a second straight year to be a top and, and run this thing back. But I'll agree with our guy Ralph and say that the Bucks will win the NFC South, and you'll see 
everything else kind of go a different way. But we'll take a quick time out, wrap up the show, one final take, and we'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. People who know me know I'm a huge fan of the fight game. But I am tired, tired of hearing the name of one man, Conor McGregor. All the excuses, all that BS needs to stop. You lost. Own up to it and move on, bro. You need to just stop and realize you lost the fight, not because of anybody else, but yourself. You want to say, oh, hey, my, my leg was fractured. You could have called the fight off and moved it to a different day down the road. That's the way boxing and MMA work. If you have an injury, you can push this thing back. Deal with it, man. Like that's what's that's what really frustrates me. If it was actually injured, you could have told Dana White, I want to push this thing back to further down the road. But you didn't. So you have no room to complain and cry and anything else about your place in life. Come on now. That's that's where I'm at on that. And that's my one final take of the day. Appreciate everybody for listening in. Next week, we're going to get more into college football. We're going to get more into the weeds of that. I'll probably in two weeks' time be able to have enough like wherewithal and nonsense to be able to put together a tier list, and I'll break that down definitively here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game in two weeks' time. But next week, it'll be more SEC and Sunbelt oriented. Oh, and by the way, one more take-ish. Last night was such it, it sucked to hear this news, and it was already it already got reported and it was wrong, and that is the passing of a legend in Bismarcky. Because honestly, his song "Just a Friend" is absolutely amazing. It's so cool. So we're gonna end the show with that. Have a good Saturday, everybody. Rest in power, Bismarcky.